everyone. We're going to have the Bible reading now. Um, if you'd like to follow along with me, it is on page 950, so you can follow along on the screen. Our reading tonight is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. It's good to be here. Let's pray as we come to this passage. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus. We thank you that we can gather as your people this evening and we thank you for this passage from Colossians. We pray that as we come to it now, that we would indeed see the amazing sights of your Son, that we would make much of Jesus and we pray it in his name. Amen. If I was to ask you, What is our focus here at Bulli Anglican Church? What would you say? No doubt there would be many different answers. We all have different views and different opinions and that is fine. Um, Conveniently today, everything that we stand for is actually on the front page of the bulletin. That was a bit of a fluke, but here we are. But one would hope, off the back of today's passage that we've just heard read, that bubbling up pretty near to the top of that list that our focus would be making much of the Lord Jesus. Paul does that in spades in today's passage, doesn't he? So how do we make much of Jesus as a church? What does it look like? Well, last week we looked at living a life of faith, a life that is pleasing to God and that bears fruit in response to our salvation. And we looked at being 
prayerfully thankful to God for those who have brought the gospel to us and for those who encourage and strengthen our faith. For a lot of us, we would have been thankful for brothers and sisters in the congregation here. For others, it would be close friends or family. But Paul starts Colossians by saying this, verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Well, today Paul continues on in his letter, on into a magnificent piece of scripture, a daunting piece of scripture to have to preach on, because it is simply so wonderful on its own. And yet, there is so much that we can unpack here. It is drenched in beauty as it makes much of the supremacy of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it is also jam-packed with theology. And the more we pick it apart, the more it will reveal and the more will be made of Jesus Christ. The more that we mine this passage, the more the reward, the further into the distance that we can see on into the eternal, wondrous vista of Jesus Christ. Now, to think why Paul might feel the desire to expound the person of Jesus with such magnificence here now, we need to remember Paul's reason for writing, that the people of Colossae would be strengthened and that they would stick with Jesus. What better way to encourage that thoroughly good trajectory than to make much of Jesus in this way? See, in the flow of the letter, Paul today pivots from thankfulness for the faith of the Colossians to the subject and the object of that faith, Jesus, the Son of God. Paul wants to focus on the main thing, to focus on Jesus and his majesty. Because if there was a small group of Christians meeting together faithfully and just needed that little bit of encouragement, then this would certainly do the trick. Now, if it was the case that there was a particular heresy that was being introduced into the Colossian church, then this was one way to address it, to make much of the Christ in Christianity. If it was the case that Paul simply wanted to encourage them and to protect them against false teaching or any Christ plus theology, then to make everything of Jesus was just the ticket. In fact, there isn't any reason for not focusing on Jesus and making much of him. But I mentioned that there's some big theology in here. A lot of this in today's passage may have been quite new stuff for the Colossians and it would have taken them time to work through and to understand. But in the end, they can be left in no doubt of the preeminence and majesty, the utmost significance and importance of Jesus in the life of a Christian and indeed in the life of the community of believers as a whole. In the immediate context then, Paul wants them to walk away having a much wider comprehension of Jesus, the object of their faith, than they did walking in. 
Let's let, but let's have a look for ourselves. Colossians 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Son is the image of the invisible God. There is a profound truth here that is offered up first. That once you have seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus didn't didn't just teach about God the Father. He taught as God himself, as the visible and tangible representative himself. Jesus offered himself up as nothing less than God incarnate, God in human form. So if we want to know more about who God is, we go and we look at Jesus. Because there is where we find the image of the invisible God. When we meet with God, we meet with Jesus. There is a second truth that pings out of the first sentence here. In Genesis 1, we are told that humans are made in the image of God. Jesus, as the image of the invisible God, is not only God in human form, but he is also God in human form, what none of us as sinful people are able to be. Without any trace of doubt, Jesus is faultless. He is wholly loving. He is wholly obedient, without sin, and he willfully walks in the footsteps of God. He did not ever set a foot wrong. Ever. Once you have seen Jesus, you have seen what it means to be made in the image of God. Jesus is what Adam and Eve and all humankind that follows them could not be without sin and without need of saving. And yet, that is the very reason he became human. But we will get to that. The Son is the firstborn over all creation. Now, the firstborn is symbolic of the most eminent, of being bestowed an honour. He is firstborn because he is there at the beginning when no other thing was. And it is because of that, that he himself can create. Verse 16. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things 
have been created through him and for him. Jesus is creator. He cannot be that if he was created first. So the firstborn is a sense of priority and headship. But Jesus is creator. The means by which God made things like planets and trees and elephants and water were through the action of the sun. And Paul doubles down on this point here and he dials it up even further. Visible and invisible things. So planets, trees, elephants and water, but also ants and gravity and air and phytoplankton. Things you can't see. And it is more than that again. For invisible is also the creation of systems. Systems of governance like thrones, powers, rulers and authorities. Jesus is the creator of everything that is visible and invisible. Which speaks to the all-encompassing relationship that Jesus has with his creation. It is all-encompassing. It is tight. It is one of intimacy. And of course, it speaks to the power of the Son and the Godhead to create out of nothing all that is in front of us and around us and all that is in front of us and around us that we cannot see. Power to create that leads in to a tight relationship with his creation. As the creator of it, he is the ruler over it and it is created for him. So what does that mean? Well, creation knows what that means. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his work. The beauty of creation and the wonder and awe that we get from seeing creation on display and then understanding more of the created order. That is a declaration of Jesus' power in creation. When we are in awe at what creation spreads out before us, a beautiful view, a wonderful sunset, and an awe-inspiring, powerful ocean, a cool rainforest of serene tranquility. If we are a Christian, we have someone to thank for that. When it takes our breath away in wonder, we can breathe out thankfulness to God because we see the glory and the power of the one who made it. A non-Christian can't do that. No, creation knows what it means that it was created for him. And as God created man as the pinnacle of creation, man is created for him too. But what does that mean? Well, we too are to declare the glory of the one who created us. That is the role of humankind, to seek God and to declare his glory, to walk in obedience to the tune of our creator. Verse 
verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He creates and he sustains. Now, nothing exists without Jesus bringing it into existence, and nothing keeps on going without the behest of Jesus and the will of Jesus for it to keep going. So the systems of government that were created for the good order of society, the system of photosynthesis and the bees doing their thing with the pollen in there as well, the system of breathing in and out to somehow get oxygen into our bloodstreams, all these things that keep us and the world going are at the command and control and gracious mercy of Jesus. Without the ongoing commitment of Jesus to keeping you alive, us alive, after having got us to the point, this point by all number of biological and natural systems, we would be no more. It is common grace indeed. But to those of us who are able to see Jesus through the haze of all of this, it is just another thing to say thank you to God for. That he keeps me alive for another day. That he keeps me alive for another moment. And then Paul turns to the church in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the head of the church. But what is the church? Well, put simply, it is the gathering of the people who believe in God. So, can you almost feel the screeching to a halt of this line of argument of Paul's in this passage? Jesus is God. Jesus is firstborn over all creation. Jesus is creator. Jesus is holding all things together. Jesus is keeping all things going. Jesus is the head of the church. In this context, it's a ragtag bunch of smelly Colossians meeting in an inconsequential house, believing a fringy idea from Judaism. It's a bit of a stark contrast to be head of the church when you're literally crowned king of the universe with an eternally long cape behind you. But church... It's where sinful people gather, aware of their sin at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and they turn towards God, who reaches out the hand of mercy, forgiveness, restoration and relationship through Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus had to die to do away with the sin of the world. He was the only one qualified, perfectly human and perfectly God. He had to die. To take on himself the punishment for sin that couldn't be borne by anyone else. 
There was no way for a sinful mankind and a holy God to be reconciled without the nasty business of dealing justly with the insidious effect of sin. And Jesus was the only one who could do it. Because he's the image of the invisible God. He's divine. He's the perfect human. And so he can take on sin and he can be the substitute for us. And the tragedy of the death of Jesus is way higher than that too. Because it is Jesus' creation that rebels. It is Jesus' creation that manifests sinfulness and it is Jesus' creation that rejected him and betrayed him, whipped him, spat upon him, insulted him, stripped him and hung him up on a cross along with a bunch of other criminals and left him there to die. That was 30 years before the writing of this letter. And yet it had to be this way. And it could only be this way because there was no other way. And so, in obedience to the Father, Jesus went to the cross, forsaken God. But the effectiveness of that, the horror, yes, and the miscarriage of justice, yes, but the effectiveness of that transaction, the effectiveness of the cross, the power of the cross because of who Jesus is. The effect was to reconcile the lost to himself and make peace. It was through the horror of the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it was effective. And that is the glue of the church. What brings us together as brothers and sisters each Sunday to encourage each other and to spur each other on? It's because the head of the church, Jesus our King, has made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Some of us here have nothing else in common, but that peace and reconciling to God through Jesus is more than enough to make us brothers and sisters. That's why we say thank you to God. That is why we live lives bearing fruit that is pleasing to God, because the driver is Jesus and what he has done for us and the hope and peace that he has given us in our hearts. Now, Paul admits here that that was not always the case. And for some of us here, that may not yet be the case. And for many of our friends and family, they may still be living alienated from God. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard 
and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul wants to remind us the depths from which we have been plucked. Now, I am always struck by the fact that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, as Paul explains to us in Romans. Often when we think figuratively of being alienated from God and then being saved, often we're thinking that we're just wandering about aimlessly in the darkness and then we kind of happily stumble across Jesus and that's a happy thing to happen. And it is. But that is not the case. We were not wandering around. We were as if dead Unable to find Jesus, unable to do anything. We were trapped and we are dead. And it is God who comes to us. And it is God who awakens us and then he reveals to us the goodness of Jesus. The chasm between being alienated and enemies of God and being reconciled to God is impossibly wide. Paul here wants to emphasise the distance covered in the reconciling of relationship, that we hated God and were enemies, and that he reconciled us to himself by Jesus. And the means by which this peace and reconciliation happens is by Christ's physical body. Jesus' death is the punishment for sin, and then it is done. And so it is what causes us to be presented holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. That is what happened to us when Jesus died on the cross. And in rising again, he became the firstborn from among the dead, the supremacy of the Son, having conquered death and winning for us peace and reconciliation. So, what should our response be? Verse 23. Continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Keep going, stand firm. Two pieces of advice that are weirdly at odds with each other, but also make complete sense. So, stand firm. Paul wants his readers to hear of the supremacy of Jesus and to be blown away by him. He wants them to stick with Jesus and to stand firm in him until the end. And his readers are already believers, like most of us here today. We're already Christians. But there is value in repeating what we already know and to consider afresh the magnificence of Jesus, because that is the main thing. And the more that we grasp the beauty of the sun, the deeper and deeper our roots will go into that good soil, that our very foundations will be strengthened and we will stand firm because we are deep in a sure foundation. And keep going. The hope held out in the gospel is that we will one day be with God in heaven, with Jesus as king over all creation, with all things reconciled to him. 
we will enjoy a restored and reconciled relationship with God. That is what we hope for. It is sure and it is certain if our faith is in Jesus. But we are not there yet. So we continue on in our faith. We keep going. And that's going to look a little different to each of us in each of our different contexts throughout the week. But here's a few common ones. We continue on in our faith as workers. Every one of us has things to do this coming week that are everything from dull to terrifying, exciting to boring, excruciating to very nice. And that's just the retirees amongst us. Before we even start thinking about those who get paid to do their thing, Jesus is the supreme Lord over all. He created and he sustains every system that we will come into contact with. During the week, I spend a lot of time trying to keep buildings up in the air, working with gravity on the one hand and the earth on the other, and then we use different materials to create space in the middle. Others of us will get to teach and explore science and language and creativity and expression with young minds. Others get to care for people. Others get to create or plan or converse or manage or fix. Jesus is over all and in all. This is his world and we do well to make much of Jesus as we tinker with the various corners of it as we are able. We continue on in our faith as a family. We're all someone's daughter, we're all someone's son, as it has been sung. We've all come from a family with parents God calls us to honour. Some of us currently have children to care for. Some of us have a marriage partner that we've made promises to. We need to be faithful family members who seek to fulfil the various God-ordained responsibilities that we all have. Parents are to teach their kids the gospel. We're to encourage each other on in our faith and be the ones to help to encourage and spur each other on. We continue on in our faith as students. All of us have been created to seek and to learn truth. And the Holy Spirit has brought us to the foot of the cross and an understanding of Jesus. All the learning adds to a bigger and more complete picture of the supremacy of Jesus. So enjoy discovery because it reveals something more of the fingerprints of Jesus. Be thankful for learning and do it joyfully and studiously as we grow in all aspects of our life and as we add fuel to our faith. Continue on in our faith as a member of Bulleye Anglican Church. What is the most important thing that we can focus on as a congregation today? Well, we make much of Jesus. It is what brings us together and it is what will keep us going. 
It is the only common thread through all of us here, and so we should strengthen that more and more as we continue to meet together. We had a church lunch earlier today. Some of you were there for it. There's always interesting things to talk about that relate to decisions within our church. If Jesus is the head of the church and we're seeking to make much of him, how might that season our conversations? What will it do to our considerations? We are a ragtag bunch of people who have been led to the Lord Jesus, who has won for us peace and reconciliation by his death on the cross. The creator and sustainer of the universe died and was risen so that he could affect the eternal change in our lives. So how do we respond? We keep going, stand firm, never, ever taking our eyes off Jesus. Amen.